Lord God, we praise you this morning. God, we confess that, that oftentimes we put things in your rightful place in our lives. Even as a church, we have the tendency to do this, to put things in, in your rightful place, God. But this morning, I pray that that would not be the case for us, that that would not be true of us, God, but that we would order our lives around you and orient our lives towards you. Even as we go to your word this morning in 1 Corinthians 14, God, the understanding of worship, God, may that be ever present in our mind. God, we thank you. We praise you for your word that it comes to us and that it demonstrates to us who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. God, may we realize who we are in light of that. God, may we realize that which you require of us in light of who you are. God, may we not seek to carve anything out for ourselves that isn't intended by you. God, as we again go to your word, may our minds be engaged and our hearts be open. May we leave this place transformed, a different people than we were when we walked in. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bible with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're nearing the end of our time in 1 Corinthians, just two more chapters after this week, three more weeks. Uh, We're going to be spending two weeks in chapter 15, and then we'll wrap up here mid-June in 1 Corinthians. We're 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This morning we're going to read verses 26 through 40. There are copies of God's Word in front of you in the pews. Uh, Go ahead and grab one of those. Uh, if, uh, If you don't have your Bible, and like John said last week, if you don't have a Bible, you need to get one. Um, There are, in fact, some in the table back there. You can grab those, Uh, and uh, and, uh, that's the translation that I'll be reading this morning. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, take one back there. That's our gift to you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. I'll read through the end of the chapter. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or more, or uh, only two or at most three in each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn, and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For if they are not permitted, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, 
but all things should be done decently and in order. I, I enjoyed math when I was in school until I got to my second semester of college and I hit Calculus 2. It was about the time I became a Christian, and so God used Calculus 2 to solidify a call to ministry because I was really bad at it. I did poorly. Maybe some of you are wishing that I did better. But I enjoyed math. And as I'm reading this text this week, as I was processing through it, verses 26 through 40 in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I kept thinking about order of operations. You remember order of operations? Mathisfun.com, because of course that's a name of a, a website, a math website, defines the order of operations like this. The rules that say which calculation comes first in an expression. So you've got the parenthesis first, right? So you've got parenthesis, then you've got the exponentials, then you've got multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, and maybe you learn to remember it something like this. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sue, or someone told me Sally this week. Doesn't matter. Pick your S name. Maybe, maybe you learned it that way. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sue. But order, we see here in this text, is an indication of priority. In the order of operations, the highest priority is at the beginning, the parenthesis, then exponentials, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. But sometimes the most important doesn't come first. Sometimes the most important doesn't come first. This is why order is more about priority than it's about what comes first and what comes last. If I'm sitting down to a meal, Rebecca and I had steak and salad and some potatoes on Friday night. When I sat down to eat that meal, I ate my salad first. Why? Because I prioritized my steak and I saved the best for last. And when our priorities are correct, we get the order of things correct. When we have proper priorities, we get the order of things correct. When doing a math problem, you could discard the other operations and start with subtraction or multiplication, but you get the wrong answer. Some of you will remember all the way back last summer and fall, we were in the Psalms of Ascent together. And we tried to revisit this idea that came up there regularly our idea of worship and what does worship mean? What is worship? What worship is orienting our lives toward and ordering our lives around God. So God is our true north. God is our true north. We need to calibrate our compass toward him. Loving him by knowing him through his word and proclaiming who he is with our lives must be our direction as Christians. And we all get off course. We all get off course, but we seek together as a body to reorient ourselves toward him as often as we are able through congregational worship like we're doing right now, through biblical community, through study and meditation on God's word. When we're off course, we go the direction. So God is our true north. We must calibrate our compasses that direction. This is, this is part of what it means to worship God. The second thing that we need to do is our, our hearts need to be ordered around God. God stands at the center of all that we do. He should be the center of everything in our, our lives. 
We as people must live in such a way that prioritizes knowing and loving God. And so you begin to see, worship then means that we have our priorities correct and our lives are ordered properly. When we calibrate our compass toward or prioritize something other than God himself, we become idolaters. But God has offered a way for us not to be idolaters through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says it clearly. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus blazes the trail for us. We follow him. He is the way. He is always aimed at the Father, our true north. And when we step off the path, when we step into sin, when we order our lives around something other than God himself, when we make something else our true north, we have put something else in God's rightful place, and that's the definition of idolatry. But Jesus, again, offers us the course correction in himself. So, worship of God has an order and a direction. We see it at the end, Paul's summary statement in verse 40 of our text this morning. But all things should be done decently and in order. This can be clearly seen in an Old Testament account of two men named Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother and the first high priest in, in Israel. And Nadab and Abihu were offered, they went into the tabernacle and offered incense, but they did it in an unauthorized way. And Leviticus 10.1 says they, they offered this incense, they burned this incense with unauthorized fire. They ignored the commands of God and the order that God had established for worship. And both men then in that moment were consumed by the fire of God himself and they were because they were careless and irreverent and disregarded the holiness of God. And that seems like a harsh, vengeful God, and we're like, well, what, what is, what's, what's going on? Why did God just up and kill these guys? Friends, God is serious about his holiness, his glory, and his honor. And we are held to a high standard. As a church, as a local church, we are held to a high standard. Our worship must be oriented towards and ordered around God, both on Sunday morning and in all of our lives. And we don't stand in the same place that Nadab and Abihu did. There's someone who took that wrath of God on our behalf. His name is Jesus Christ. And yet, he frees us to live in such a way that orders our lives around and orients our lives towards God Lives lives of, live lives of worship that are pleasing to him. That is what Jesus does for us. He frees us to do that. So what does this all have to do with our text this morning? The Corinthians, as we've seen throughout the entire letter that Paul writes to them, have their priorities out of whack. They have their priorities out of whack. And so the order of things is wrong when they come together for congregational worship. So Paul is trying to correct that here at the end of 14. He's given them all of the reasons why they should properly prioritize things, and he's given them what the proper priorities should be, mainly 
loving one another and using their gifts to build up the body. But Paul offers correction now very practically about the things that they should do and in what order they should do them. Paul's offering correction so that when the Corinthians gather together, they can glorify God by building up the church and not simply focusing on themselves. So here's the main idea of this text this morning. The main idea of this text is God is a God of order. And it kind of hinges on verse 33. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. We are created in God's image, and all that we have been given is meant to be given back to him, but oftentimes we miss the next part of the statement, in the way that he sets out for us to give it back to him. God is a God of order. We are created in his image, and all that we have been given is meant to be given back to him in the way that he sets out for us. So two ways that that idea is apparent in our text this morning. First, he gives two examples, really. The examples that the Corinthians were engaging in improperly. Two ideas that that idea is apparent. Our spiritual gifts are meant to be used according to how God designed them. This is an idea that we've talked about a lot over the last few weeks. And secondly, second example here is our role as male and female, are meant to be used according to how God designed us. Our spiritual gifts are meant to be used according to how God designed them, and our roles as male and female are meant to be used according to how God designed us. So let's just follow the contours of the text here. Here we see that Paul addresses the gifts in verses 26 through 33. So look here. Look at verse 26. Paul says, What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So he's using these as examples. Each person might bring one of these things to congregational worship. Not an exhaustive list, but a list of examples. Most of these things, though, represent a spiritual gift. Look at that. A lesson would be teaching. Revelation would be prophecy. A tongue, obviously tongues. An interpretation, the interpretation of said tongues. And it would be safe to assume that these things were being used chaotically in the Corinthian setting. They were used in such a way that someone would sing aloud him back there, and someone up here would start teaching, and someone over here would start prophesying, and it was all happening simultaneously. Our dinner table is mostly just noise, <laughs> as you can imagine. Rebecca and I are trying to have a discussion. One child puts his hand in the air and starts saying, Mom, 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 Mom. Another one says, I have a question. Answer me first. The other one says, I have to go potty. The two babies just start screaming, not because they're upset, just because they want to participate. It's safe to characterize it as chaotic. It's pretty much what I imagine is happening in, in the Corinthian setting. It's pretty much what I imagine, just, just a bunch of people shouting things out and, and, and acting in such a way that, that ultimately goes against what Paul says earlier in chapter 14, what John preached on last week. Don't be childish in your thinking. Be infants and evil, but in your thinking, be mature. 
And now, now, what do our kids need to learn in that context? Well, I, th- I think that they need to learn that they're not the center of the universe, which is largely the message of the first letter to the Corinthians. You're not the center of the universe. Therefore, set that thing aside. It's not for you. It's for the body. Build up the body. You can wait your turn. But again, this is the trap they're falling into. Look at verse 27. If any speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn, and let someone interpret. We read that verse, and we're like, Paul, don't squelch it. Don't shut it down. He's saying two, maybe, maybe three at most, guys. Let's have some order here. They needed to realize that the sun doesn't revolve around them as individuals. Guys, Corinthians, the sun does not revolve around you. You are, do not stand at the center of the universe. Consider the one whom the universe does revolve around. That's what Paul's saying. Consider him who the universe does revolve around, who created all things, and orient your lives towards and order your lives around him, not yourself. Act accordingly. You don't have to be the one who gets a word in every which way. And if there isn't anyone to make sense of what you're saying, don't bother saying anything. The Corinthians' approach to congregational worship was chaotic. Look at what Paul says in verse 33 again. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That's the hinge here. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians, is appealing, as he does so many times, to God's character. Peace. Not confusion. So wait your turn. You're not the center of the universe. The second idea here comes in the second half of verse 33 through 35. Our roles as male and female are meant to be used according to how God designed us. Now, the second half of verse 34 and 35 have contributed to a lot of controversy, specifically in our day and age. You recall back in chapter 11 when we discussed how God has designed us as male and female, men and women, equally created in God's image and yet distinct roles from one another. So two words you need to be aware of. Church, you need to be aware of these two words. One, the first one, complementarianism. That's a long one, complementarianism. You see the root word right there, complement, not like you look great today, but complement like two things complementing each other. God created male and female equally in his image but both have unique roles that complement one another, both in marriage and in the church, according to the New Testament. The other word to be aware of is egalitarianism. This word gets used more in our culture, but if you're unfamiliar, egalitarianism, as it pertains to the local church, also affirms that man and woman are both created equally in God's image, but our roles are interchangeable. Egalitarianism says that men and women cannot be equal without equality in roles. That is not what we affirm at Buffalo City Church. We affirm the complementarian position. We believe that men and women are created equally in God's image, but are uniquely designed with specific roles in marriage and are also called to serve the church in unique ways that complement one another. Verses 34 and 35 contribute to that understanding. 
We must read these correctly, though, through the lens of the Corinthians as Paul writes them. You might be tempted to say, look at verse 34 and 35, this is so sexist. We're not going to just cut this right out and throw it out the window. But we need to do some quick work here. Paul says that women should keep silent in church and they're not permitted to speak. Now that would be seem contradictory to what he says in 11.5 where Paul writes that women are praying and prophesying and he doesn't com- condemn that type of speech. So what could Paul mean here? And it's most likely that Paul is referring to a specific kinds of speech, maybe that we don't have all the details on. The Corinthians know what kind of activities they're engaging in in con- congregational worship. They understand the things that they're doing, and so Paul gives them this instructive. Paul isn't prohibiting women's voices from being heard in congregational worship, but he is, in the same way he forbids spiritual gifts from being used haphazardly in 26 through 33, he's calling for order. And when it comes to matters of gender roles, like we're talking about here, when it comes to the matter of gender roles, as 34 and 35 lay out for us, it's important to consider order. Paul writes this in, in, verse, in 1 Timothy 2. He appeals to order again. He appeals to creation order. In verses 12 and 13 in 1 Timothy 2, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? Before Adam was formed first, then Eve. So authority in teaching and congregational worship, like here on Sunday morning, is reserved for men in the local church because of creation order. That's how Paul appeals to the church. Order being, again, the very important word. Women may prophesy and pray. Paul says it in chapter 11. That's why you'll see women reading scripture at Buffalo City Church. That's why you'll see women facilitating musical worship at Buffalo City Church or even praying from the front. We look at this and we look at this text and we like you say, well, that's so old-fashioned. And the answer to that is you're right. It is. Paul appeals to the very first humans. It's pretty old-fashioned. The culture around us may disagree, and that may put us at odds with people, but we are called to be distinct from the culture. James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with God or with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We don't take our cues from the culture or the world. We take our cues from the word of God, which is living and active. Look, at me verse, look with me at verse 35 quickly then, and then we'll move on. If there is anything they desire to learn, women then, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. There are two things here that we need to be aware of. Two things. This verse is a corrective against women who are engaged in the disorder, but there are a couple of things Paul assumes here that I want to point out. First, first, it is important that we as a church, Buffalo City Church, promote the biblical literacy and education of women. How did you get that? Buffalo City Church must be a place where women are invited to learn and grow. Paul is not excluding women from this conversation. In fact, he's assuming that it happens. So we must champion the idea that women are equally created in the image of God and therefore should be given equal opportunity to know their God. Now in the church, this has been something that has not always gone that well. 
This is not the way that many churches view this issue. That's a problem. That's a problem. We must reject a culture that downplays, a church culture that downplays or stonewalls women. It is sinful to prevent children of God from knowing him. The second thing is a question geared towards men. Are you discipling your families? Your wife and your kids, if applicable, are you with them doing regular, intentional, spiritual good? Men, in some instances in our congregation, I'm watching your wives run spiritual growth circles around you. In some instances, there's a lot of excuses out there. But I'll just say this. I'm just going to say this. This verse should remind you, verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 14 should remind you that you're not required only to put bread on the table but also to lead your wife and kids to the bread of life. You say, my wife is smarter than me. Join the club. (laughs) Stop dwelling on your capabilities and start living into the calling that you have as a head of your household. Your tax forms may refer to you as head of household, but your actions may reflect that of a dependent. Paul tells you earlier in chapter 14 not to be a child in your thinking. Men, lead. Okay, so move back to the 30,000-foot level here. How do we understand how this fits into what Paul is telling the Corinthians? He takes this aside and talks about roles, gender roles here, after he uses the example of spiritual gifts. He's saying again that order matters. Order matters. Creation order, male and female, but also who speaks and when. Whether it's based on your spiritual gifts or your gender, order is important. Chaos is to be avoided at all costs. Paul emphasizes that this is a universal principle for all churches. The rejection of chaos and the promotion of order in congregational worship. And he wraps up in verse 40, but all things should be done decently in order. So, as we draw a conclusion here, here's what we can learn. What can we learn from this text in particular? First, the church must have order when we come together for congregational worship. It is good for us to come together It is good for us to come together. The author of Hebrews tells us not to forsake the meeting together. But when we come together, it's good for us to have an idea of where we're going. Where are we going? We choose to do things, Buffalo City Church, we choose to do things that are clearly outlined for us in Scripture, for the local church to do together. We sing together. We are commanded to sing together. We pray together. We read the Bible. We preach and we participate in baptism in the Lord's Supper as often as necessary. And we want to ensure that what is being done in the local church in congregational worship is done to build up the whole body. I'm not talking about mere organization. 
I'm talking about what we do from the front on a Sunday morning. Those things are meant to be for everyone or a select group, but not just for a select group of individuals, but for all who are in Christ and part of the local church. We choose not to do things for select groups of people because it creates divisions and introduces chaos. Similarly, we should seek order in our lives as individuals. This is not always easy, but I'm not talking about just keeping a calendar or having a to-do list, although I think that's a practical outworking of what it means to have order in our lives. I'm talking about ordering our lives properly in a spiritual sense. Remember that order implies a prioritization. Rightly prioritizing is something that we can grow in as individuals and as the church. Prioritizing that which is temporary over that which is lasting should be avoided. We should prioritize that which builds up the church through self-sacrifice. We should prioritize the spiritual health and well-being of ourselves and our families and our community of faith. Not just one, but all of those. When we think about living well-ordered lives, we should think about these things. Again, not just keeping a calendar or having a filing cabinet. We should think about our spiritual health and well-being and that of our families and our community of faith. All of that should come to mind. So, we should, as a congregation, seek order when we come together for worship, and we should seek spiritual order in our lives as individuals. The second thing that I want to point out from this text, in conclusion, is that we learn something very specific about who God is and how his character should be displayed in our lives. I love what A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What came to the Corinthians' minds when they thought about God? I can't answer that directly because I'm not in their heads. But from what Paul writes in the book, in this letter, I can suggest not a whole lot came into their minds. I am very fearful that it's similar for many of you. And not a lot comes into our minds when we think about God. But that's the most important thing about us. The Corinthians were only thinking about themselves, and therein lies the problem. What does Paul want the Corinthians to think about when they think about God? Verse 33 is it. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Confusion existed when the Corinthians came together for worship because they weren't thinking about God They were thinking about themselves. A group of people focused on self will inevitably descend into chaos. A group of people focused on themselves will inevitably descend into chaos. When you came here this morning, what were you thinking about? What things were in your mind as you walked in those doors this morning? This is a Time for self-reflection. A group of people focused on self will inevitably descend into chaos. A group of people focused on God will inevitably dwell in peace. Why? Because when our focus is on a God of peace and not on confusion, 
we move beyond fog, beyond confusion. This is worship, orienting our lives towards and ordering our lives around God. When we do that, we reflect God to a world that desperately needs to know him. John asked this question last week. Do you want to experience God? The answer, Buffalo City Church, the answer, build up the church. Build up the church. Don't build up yourself. Build up the church. How? Through ordering your life around him, orienting your life toward him, growing in your love for him, and watching that love spill over into the lives of others. Taking everything that you have and sacrificially sacrificially offering it back to God by using it to love others. Those things that God has given to you, he wants you to give back to him. But not just in this haphazard sort of way, but in a very specific way that he sets out for us. We get to do this, us together as a church in this room. But we must first recognize that we are created for it. And those who are made in the image of God, a God who establishes order, a God of peace with whom we have peace because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Why are we at odds with one another so often? You know that you are. You know that this week, probably someone in this room, even in your own brain, you are at odds with them. You might not have gone up to them and had a verbal confrontation. But in your mind, you were at probably at odds with someone even in this very room this week. Why do we say things like we know it all? Why do we act like God's gift to the people around us? Why do we complain so quickly about situations? Why do we isolate ourselves, ignore the meeting together, treating Sundays, acting as if something we have to do in our lives is more important than loving one another and putting others' interests and needs above our own? Why do we complain about toxic people? Why do we tell people that we're okay when we're being eaten up on the inside because of difficulty? Why do we gossip? Why do we start so many sentences with, did you hear about so-and-so? Why do we harbor bitterness and resentment against other people? Why do we choose chaos when God offers us order? Why do we choose confusion when God offers us peace? Because, friends, we would rather sit in that place. We would rather order our lives around ourselves and orient our lives toward ourselves. But, friends, the good news is this. God has ended the tyrannical rule of sin and death and the resulting chaos in your life through Jesus Christ. Your order of operations were completely off. My aunt, please, dear excuse, Sue. And then Jesus came and died. And God crushed his son for you and reordered your operations. Please excuse my dear aunt Sue. There it is. Please excuse my dear aunt Sue. Friends, this is about a God who is something. A God who is peace. We don't know God. We, we order our lives incorrectly because we don't know who he is. Friends, I'm begging you this week, 
Go to his word. Know your God. Find yourself amongst men and women in a community of faith that are committed to you knowing God. Know a God of peace, not of confusion. It's the peace of God that comes to us in Christ Jesus that orders our chaos and gives us the ability, friends, to build up the church. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that you are a God of peace and not a God of confusion. Lord Jesus, we know that that there are many of us in this room who are in a fog, who are in confusion this morning. God, may we dwell on the peace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. God, may our minds be so fixated with that. May our affections be so stirred because of the reality that we were moved from death to life. The reality that we were made whole again, not because of our performance, not because of our efforts, not because of our law keeping, not because we're nice people, not because of our morality, but because of the sheer fact that you stepped down from heaven and died. You took the sin of the world upon yourself. Our King Jesus died. Now, having the mind of Christ, may we look at the others around us this morning and say, know your God, know peace. May we not be people who just give good advice, but may we be the type of people that give good news. The good news that we no longer need to live as though sin and death were reigning over us. But Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, has come. He's freed us from the tyranny of chaos because of our sin and because of death and made us whole. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.